Amen. I heard a story about two men who were uh, heading out to play golf in Lurgan Golf Club. And as they were about to tee off at the first hole, a funeral cortege drove past. And uh, one of the men who was about to tee off took off his hat. He sat down in his golf club and he bowed his head and he folded his hands and he, he said a prayer. And his friend who he was playing with was absolutely amazed. And as they, you know, once the, the cortege has passed, he picks up his club, puts on his hat and goes back to playing the game. And his friend says, that's amazing. I'm so impressed with just the dignity you showed there and the respect and how you, how you, how you paused for a moment just to honour the dead. And he says, well, I guess it's the least I could do. We were married for 35 years. Um, <laughs> people grieve in different ways. People deal with loss in different ways. People let go in different ways. And this morning, the title of my sermon is this, How Long Will You Mourn? How Long Will You Mourn? And that's a question that God asks one of his prophets, one of his people in 1 Samuel 16. And I believe it's a, a question he wants to ask each one of us at the beginning of a new year. How long will you mourn? Because as we look ahead into all that 2024 might bring, before we can take hold of that, maybe there's some things from 2023 that we need to let go of. As we want to take hold of what God is placing before us, there might be some things that we're holding on to that we need to relinquish. And sometimes it's not so much about facing the future, it's about letting go of the past. Because we all have things back there that we regret, we have things that didn't work out, things we did that we wish we hadn't done. And sometimes those things can tether us to a place and a past that God says, I want you to leave that behind and I want you to press in to the next thing. And I, I think uh, to make the most of all that lies ahead, as individuals and as a church, we all have at least one thing that God is going to say to us, I want you to leave that behind in 2023 as you step in to 2024. And so I've got a number of things to say, and I think each point will be different, and one point will apply to you. I don't think every point will apply to everybody, but I think one thing I say and each point might apply to you. And so I'm going to just, just acknowledge that I'm, I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit to take the word and, and to apply it to your heart. And I want to look at 1 Samuel 16. Let's look at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And my first point is this. It's time to move on. That's what God wants to say to some of you at the beginning of 2024. It's time to move on. Here's the background of the story. Uh, Israel, God's chosen people, come to God and they say, we want a king. And God says, I'm your king. And they say, you know, but we want to be like the other nations. We want an impressive king. We want a king that we can see. We want a king who can lead us into battle. We want to be like the other countries all around us. And that's one of the things I just simply as an aside here want to say. When God's people try to be like the world around them, it never goes well. When God's people look at the world and start saying, I want to do that and I want to be like that and we're going to change to become like them out there, it never goes well. As God's people, we are called to be different and we're called to be distinct. We're not a people of the world. We're people in the world, but not of it. We're a people of the word, not the world. 
And one of the things I believe we're going to see as we go through 2024 is this. There's going to be a greater distinction and separation between those who are living for God and those who are pursuing righteousness and those who are pursuing darkness. I believe there's going to be, we're going to reach a stage where there's no middle ground. There's no sitting on the fence. Jesus says, those who aren't for me are against me. And we're going to see that more and more. We're, we're, we're in a world where there's division and polarization, and of course we don't want that. But in one sense, Jesus said, that's natural. There's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats. There's going to be light and there's going to be darkness. There's going to be wise and there's going to be foolish. And so in one sense, I believe as we push in to the year ahead, we're going to see this greater separation between nations, and we're seeing that already with the wars happening, and even within nations. And I think we're also going to see it in the church. We're going to see the greater separation between those who are faithful to the word of God and those who realize they're meant to live distinctly for Jesus and those who compromise and accommodate the world and try to be like the world. And there's going to be this greater distinction within the church. And I believe even possibly within the Anglican church that that tearing is going to go because light and darkness cannot live together. And so I believe that in these days that we're going to see a greater separation between those who live on the word and those who live by the world. Um, but God gives them a king. And that's a scary thing. Sometimes God will give you what you want, even if it's not his best for you. If you want something enough, if you pursue something enough, sometimes God will say, you know what? Have it. And let's see how that works out. It says in Romans 1, God gave them over. That's the worst thing that can happen, is that God says, I will just get, you know what? If your heart's set in that, it's not going to be good for you, but I'm going to give it to you just so you can see that it's not what you really want. And the best man available at the time was a guy called Saul. Saul was tall, he was impressive, he was good looking, he was wealthy, he was from a good family, and he was able to lead the people into battle. And so God chose Saul to be the first king of Israel. And it started well, but very quickly it went downhill. Because not everything that starts well, finishes well. Not everything that starts with, with expectation and excitement and hope finishes with that. We know that in our lives and we know that in our churches and we know that in our marriages and our relationships. Some things start really well, but they don't always finish well. And the problem with Saul is this. He cares more about what people think than what God thinks. He's a people pleaser. And when you're a people pleaser, you cannot lead God's people. That's part of the problem in the church today is that we have people pleasers leading the people of God and they're torn this way and they're torn that way and they're torn this way and they're torn that way by whatever wind and whatever direction and whatever pressure. I had a, this is just coming to me now. I had a dream a while ago and I was on a bus and there was somebody driving the bus and it was, it, it was a church leader who's above me, okay? And, uh, and, and here's the thing. I was trying to get to the airport but people on the bus kept telling the driver where to go. And so he was going this way when one person came up to him, and then another person would come up and say, I want to go this way, and then he would change direction, and the bus was all over the place. And I think that's a picture of what we see in the church today. Whatever the world says, you know, this, you, know you have to affirm this. You have to go along with this. And the bus is all over the place when actually the bus driver has only one purpose, and that is to get to the destination. And these are days when God is saying, I need you to be focused on where you're going. 
I need you to be focused on where I am calling you to go. But Saul is so concerned with what people think about him. He's so concerned with position and popularity and image that whenever it comes to obeying God or obeying people, he always chooses people. And God gives him chance after chance after chance. But eventually God just says, look, I have had enough. And so he sends the prophet Samuel to Saul to say, I have rejected you as king over Israel. And Samuel does that. But Saul is reluctant to let go of power. And so he clings on to the throne for actually about 13 more years. So Saul is still on the throne. He's got the position. He's got the title. He's got the crown. But he hasn't got the anointing and the blessing of God on his life. And what I would simply say is this, just because somebody has title and position and status doesn't mean that they have the blessing and favor of God upon them. Sometimes we look at people and we think, wow, God has really blessed them. Maybe they're just clinging on to something God has told them already to let go of. Don't be overly impressed by externals. We'll see that in a moment or two. Obedience to God, faithfulness to God is so much more important than position our promotions, our earthly power. So that's the backdrop to what we're looking at here in chapter 16. And we find the prophet Samuel really struggling with the fallout from Saul's disobedience and Saul's spiritual downfall and God's rejection of him as king. Look at what we read again. How long will you mourn for Saul? Saul or Samuel was mourning, Samuel was grieving, and it seems like he's been doing this for some time, because God says, how long will you mourn? How long are you going to stay in this place of grieving? How long will you mourn? Samuel has taken the whole thing quite personally. He feels the loss deep inside. He's, he's thinking about it all the time. He's got stuck on Saul. He's got stuck on what went wrong. He's got stuck on the old. He's got stuck on what happened. He's got stuck on the past. He's got stuck on what was. And he keeps looking backwards and God interrupts him and says, how long will you mourn? Because I want to lead you forward, but I can't lead you forward if you're constantly looking backwards. And that's a word for some of us right now that we're looking back at things that happened in the past and we're looking back at 2023 or 2022 or 2021 and we've been stuck there for a while and God says, I have so much more for you in this year ahead, but I can't lead you forward. You can't drive forward if you're constantly looking in the rearview mirror. I want to lead you into more. It's time to move on. You know, there's nothing wrong with mourning. There's nothing wrong with grieving. We all have losses. Over the last few years, we've all lost some things. It could be physical losses, family members. It could be loss of jobs. It could be loss of friendships. It could be loss of relationships. Some, some of you, things have changed a lot. Some of you have moved here in the last few years. Some people have moved to other places. And so you've lost friends. Maybe you've lost family. You know, the last new to hope we did here a few months ago, it was amazing. There were more people in New to Hope who weren't from Northern Ireland than who were. People who have moved to this area. I mean, welcome to Craig Alvin. Uh, you know, where else would you rather be? Um, but, but it's amazing because when people move, there's a reason that they move. 
But when you move, you're leaving some things, some people, some situations behind. And every change brings loss and every loss brings pain. And pain brings grief and mourning. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time to mourn. So there's nothing wrong with mourning. But here's the thing. When you get stuck in a place of mourning, it's very difficult to move forward into the new. And God interrupts Samuel in his mourning and says, how long will you mourn? There comes a point where you need to stop mourning and start moving. You need to stop grieving and start going. You need to stop weeping and start walking. And God says to Samuel, it's time to get moving again. I know you don't want to. I know you're feeling the pain of the past. I know you've got stuck here, but I need you to get up. I need you to take off your funeral clothes. I need you to wash your face, and I need you to get moving into the future that I am placing before you. And I believe that's what the Lord would say to some of us this morning. It's time to get moving. I know what didn't work out. I know things didn't go as you hoped, planned, or expected. And I know you've had losses, and I know there's been pain, and I know you're grieving, and I see what you've been through, and I see that there's been hurt, and there's been betrayal, and there's been unfaithfulness, and there's been rejection, and there's been divorce, and there's been mistreatment, and there's been injustice. I see it all, and I'm not minimizing any of that. And, I, and it was right to grieve, and it was right to mourn for a season, but now it's time to get moving again. It's time to move on from that thing that happened two years ago, one year ago, from that hurt, from that pain, from that brokenness, from that fallout. We get stuck there, and God would say to some of us, it's time to get moving again. Wash your face, take off your funeral clothes. And sometimes, you know, you will continue to mourn for a while as you move. You will keep grieving as you go. But the thing is that you keep on moving. The Bible says that we go through the valley of the shadow. We don't build a house there. We don't pitch a tent there. We don't settle in the valley. We go through it. One of the verses that will be preached in churches all over the place on the first Sunday of the year, I think Jamie mentioned it last week, is Isaiah 43. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. How many of us dwell on the past? Then God says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Why would you not perceive the new thing God is doing in front of you? Because you're looking backwards. Sometimes God is wanting to lead us into something new, but we're so busy looking at the old that we completely miss the thing that God is doing right in front of our eyes. And then he says, I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. In other words, I know things have been barren. I know things have been difficult. I know things have been painful. It's been like a wasteland and a wilderness. But if you will look at that wasteland and the wilderness, you will see that there are now streams flowing there. And I'm making a way there. But I need you to move on. The Apostle Paul said, forgetting what is behind and straining towards, towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. It's time to move on. That situation, that relationship, that season might be over, but you're not and God's not. And God has something new for you to do. And so let's pause and let's just ask ourselves, is there anything that I'm clinging on to? 
anything that happened in the last year, two years, that I am still holding on to, and it's, it's bringing me down, and it's causing me pain, and God is telling me to let go of it so that I can be free to move in to the next season. Maybe that's the thing that God wants to say to you. Or maybe it's this, and this is my second point. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. Samuel was the one who had anointed Saul as king. He was the one who had poured the oil on Saul's head, and it hadn't worked out. And so Samuel is taking the whole thing very personally. He's feeling like he's somehow responsible for it, that he did something wrong, that he missed it somehow, that it's his fault the whole thing didn't work out. But God makes it very clear, I have rejected Saul as king. In other words, what God is saying to Samuel is, it's not your fault. This is now between him and me. It's nothing to do with you, Samuel. It's not your fault. It was Saul's fault. So stop taking the blame for something you didn't do. I've noticed we do that a lot here. I don't know if it's a Northern Ireland thing or not. But I, you, have, have you ever had somebody walk into you and you're the one who says sorry? We all do it, don't we? Somebody bangs into us in the supermarket or in a shop and you go, sorry, sorry. They walked into you. You were static. But we apologize. Like Elijah will say sorry for lots of that. And I go, you know what? If you do something wrong, take responsibility for it and say sorry, absolutely. But stop saying sorry when, you're not, when, you, when you haven't done anything wrong. Say, that was your fault. No, um, but that's what we do in this culture. We blame ourselves at times for things that we didn't do. You know, sometimes you give your best, you give something your all, you pour yourself out, you're loyal, you're obedient, you're faithful, and yet things still fall apart because of the decisions of other people. Or sometimes it's just life and circumstances. You know, we had a time in our lives when we poured ourselves into a situation, we poured ourselves into people. We gave every single thing we had. We brought people into our lives, into our world, and everything went well until it didn't. And at the end, it all fell apart, and relationships were fractured, and, and friendships were broken. And Quite honestly, it was devastating. And I left that place, and I left that situation, and for months I grieved and I mourned. But I also carried about so, many, so much shame and so much pain Asking myself, what did I, why, did, why did I allow that to happen? What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? What could I have do, said better? How, you know, and, and I, even though I knew we had tried to steward our hearts in the best way we could, I found myself blaming myself for all of it. And about four, five, six months after that, we were in a church meeting, and there was a prophet speaking called Sharon Stone, not the actress. Um, that is her name. And it was amazing. In the middle of the meeting, she knew nothing about the situation. She just stopped and she turned to Becky and I and she said, will you two stand up? And she described exactly what had happened about five months before that nobody knew about. She described exactly the betrayal and the hurt. And she finished and she said this, it wasn't your fault. God wants you to know it wasn't your fault. 
And for months I had been carrying that weight and that shame and that guilt around with me. And it was like a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. And I believe God wants to say that to some of you today. Things didn't work out. Things got messy. Relationships got broken. Things fell apart. Own the bit that might have been your fault, but don't own the bits that weren't your fault. Stop carrying around guilt and shame and blame for something you didn't do. Our bodies weren't meant to carry that stuff. And when you carry shame and guilt and all of that around with you, it begins to affect you physically and emotionally. I remember being invited or asked to go and visit a guy in church. I didn't know him at all. He was part of somebody's extended family. And he was in the last few weeks of his life. He was dying of cancer. And as I sat with him, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, ask him about trauma in his past. And I said, look, do you mind if I ask, was there any trauma in your past? And he, he brought something up, and it was quite an, a name. It wasn't that big. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, that's not it. Push a little bit further. So I'm in a hospital room with this guy dying of cancer, and I'm saying, what else happened? There's something you're not telling me. And he broke down and he talked about how years before this, he had been accused of something awful. And then eventually it came out that he didn't do it. But his reputation was ruined. Everybody talked about him. People rejected him. And he'd been carrying this around with him. And he'd been feeling, even though he didn't do it, he'd been carrying guilt and shame and anger and pain. And that day I just spoke... The, just God's grace over him and God's love over him. But I also got him to the point where he, he forgave those who had lied about him. And I would love to tell you that he was completely cured of cancer. He wasn't. He died a few weeks later. But can I say to you, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. His wife told me that was the best two weeks she had had with him in years. A joy and a lightness came into his life. He was carrying things that he wasn't meant to carry. And when he released those things, God brought so much life and hope and joy and healing into his heart. And I believe God wants to do that with you. There are some things that you're carrying that you really didn't have anything to do with it. And I believe today God's word to you is this. I saw it. I saw how much you gave. I saw what you poured out. And I want to say to you, it wasn't your fault. And so I just pray, Lord, that for those that this word applies to, that you would bring healing and wholeness and lift that burden off their shoulders as they enter a new year. The next thing, and I'm going to skip over this very quickly, is this. Some people can't be part of your future the way they were in the past. As we begin a new year, there are some people that have been part of your life that God is saying, I don't want you to completely put them out of your life maybe, but they simply aren't going to have the same place or position in your future. You see, up until this time, Samuel was the intermediary between God and Saul. He was the go-between. Whenever God wanted to speak to Saul, he went through Samuel. And so there's been this connection and this relationship, and Saul depended on Samuel, and now that relationship is severed and it's broken. And from now on, God is going to deal with Saul directly. And in your own journey, 
There may be times when God says to you, that person was great in your past. They've been part of your history, but I do want you to carry them into your destiny. I brought them into your life for a reason and a season, and that was great, but they're no longer to be part of your life. And if you want to move forward with me, you've got to let some of those relationships go. Not because they're bad people, but just because they don't have the capacity to go where I want to bring you. And I've got a new assignment for you, but I can't bring you into that if you're continuing to live in the old. And sometimes it's not about putting people out of our lives. It's about repositioning some people in our lives. Some people that you meet every week because you've been meeting them every Friday for coffee for the last 14 years. And it started out fun and it was energized and now it drains the life out of you. And you come home on a Friday and you need a dark room for three hours and, you know, you play Enya. And, uh, you know, it's not bad. You know, it's the only way you can relax after it, you know. Like you're doing Tai Chi in your room and you don't even know Tai Chi just to relax. There's some things that were good for a reason and a season and we try to make them permanent and there's some people that God would say, I want that relationship to change. I need to take you somewhere but they can't go with you and if you try to hold on to them, it will tether you to a place that I no longer want you to be. We see that with Abraham. Abraham sets up off on a journey into the, to the promised land. He takes his nephew Lot with him. Nothing wrong with that but there comes a point quite early in the journey where Abraham says, look, this isn't working out, Lot. We need to separate. We need to go our separate ways. And there comes a point sometimes in some relationships where God says, I need you to put a little bit of distance there. That isn't healthy anymore. That isn't helpful anymore. And I need you to move on. Number four. The next thing I believe God would say is this. There's more oil. There's more oil. Look at verse one again. It says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Fill your horn with oil. That was like a flask. And the oil in it was the oil of anointing that you poured over a king to consecrate them as a king. The oil in the Bible represents two things. Oil represents joy. It talks about the oil of gladness. And oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And God says to Samuel, fill your horn, fill your flask with oil. Why does he need to fill it with oil? Because it's empty. Why is his flask empty? Because he poured it out over Saul. He poured out the best he had over something and someone that didn't work out. And now he's empty. And in life we do that sometimes. We give our best, we give our all, we pour ourselves out. We give, we serve, we, 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 we love and at the end, it just doesn't work out. And we feel empty and we feel depleted and we feel like we have nothing left to give. Again, I, I, I've been there. There was a season where I poured and poured and poured and poured. And I ended up completely empty. And I ended up with burnout and I ended up with depression. Because I poured and I poured until there was nothing left to pour and then I kept pouring. And I really, at that stage in my life, thought God was done with me. God was finished with me. God wouldn't use me. I honestly thought that I wouldn't be in ministry any longer. But here's what I've discovered. There's more oil. God says to Samuel, fill your horn with oil. God has said there's more oil that will fill your emptiness. 
And maybe right now at the beginning of a new year, you're looking ahead and you're just like, I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm empty. Like everybody's like, what's your resolutions for the new year? Mine's just to get through the day. Like it's to get to lunchtime. That's my resolution. Because you've poured out all your oil and you're exhausted and you're empty and you feel like you've nothing left to give. And I believe the word of the Lord to you on the 7th of January 2024 is this. There's more oil. You're not finished. You're not done. I know you feel like you have nothing left to give, but I have plenty more to give. And there's more oil and there's more of my presence and there's more of my enabling and there's more of my power and there's more of my grace and there's more of my mercy. And you might think you're finished, but I have so much more for you. But I need you to get refilled with oil. Maybe tonight is an opportunity for that at Hope Nights. I know we've said in the past, you know, if you're sort of for 16 to 30s, I don't care what age you are. If you're thirsty for more of God, if you need a fresh touch from God, if you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, get here tonight at seven o'clock and let the guys pray for you to be filled afresh with the Spirit of God. God has got more oil for you. The next thing I believe God would say to some of you is this. You need to break some bad patterns. You need to break some bad patterns as you step into a new year. See, Samuel does what God says. He goes to Jesse of Bethlehem, and he says to Jesse, I need to see your sons because God has sent me here. And look at what we read in verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So the oldest son, Eliab, walks in. And Samuel immediately stands up and starts trying to pour the oil. But the thing is, the oil's not flowing. Because God won't let it flow. He immediately looks at the oldest son, the oldest brother, and thinks that must be the one that God has chosen. Why? Well, God intervenes, and look at what God says to him in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God says to him, Do not consider his appearance or his height. Eliab, therefore, must have been tall and good-looking, just like Saul. Because look at what we read about Saul in seven chapters earlier. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, but obviously not in Northern Ireland because there's more handsome in Craig Avon. And he was, that's in the message translation, and he was a head taller than anyone else. So we're to, what are we told about Saul? He's handsome and he's tall. What are we told about Eliab? He's handsome and he's tall. As soon as Samuel sees Eliab, he assumes this must be the one because he looks just like Saul. He's got into this pattern of this must be it because he looks like a king. You know, this is the time of year I've said where people make New Year's resolutions. Well, actually, we're into the second week now, so this is probably the time where most of you have broken your New Year's resolutions. And New Year's resolutions are generally we want to give up something or we want to start something. 
We want to give up, you know, unhealthy food, or we want to give up alcohol, or we want to give up smoking or cocaine or whatever's your thing, you know, or watching EastEnders or, or whatever that is. And we want to start eating healthy, we want to start doing exercise, and we want to start being nice to people, and we want to start not kicking the neighbor's cat or, or, or whatever that is. We want to give up, and we want to start, and we've got great goals and great ambitions, and then it falls flat. Why? Because we have patterns and habits and routines that we have been doing for years, and are, are, we are automatically drawn back to them. So we try to break the habit and we try to break the pattern. I am going to go to the gym three times a week for an hour. I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. And 6 a.m. comes and that snooze button has never looked so good ever. And you hit it 43 times and get up at a quarter past eight and rush out to work. We have habits and we have patterns in our lives. And we will naturally gravitate back to the pattern. That's what Samuel is doing here. He's gravitating back to, he's tall, he's good looking, he must be king. We do this in different areas of our lives. Maybe even in church, we push ourselves forward. We, we, we might even get our hands to here sometime. And then we feel uncomfortable and we go back to here. Because we gravitate back to where we're comfortable. Maybe it's in relationships. There's a certain type of guy or a girl that you keep choosing and it keeps messing up and it keeps not working out and you know they're not the right type but you keep going back to them. Maybe it's a thought pattern, a way of thinking that just isn't helpful or healthy. Maybe it's a behavior, maybe it's something you watch, maybe it's something you consume, maybe it's uh, uh, whatever it is, but you keep going back to something because that's your pattern and that's your habit. And there are some things at the start of 2024 where God has said, I need you to break that pattern. I need you to break that because I want to lead you forward, but that habit, that pattern, that way of thinking, that relationship, the way you react to people or overreact to situations, that is keeping you stuck here. I'm going to make a confession here. It's just, don't worry, it's not that bad. But we were away last week, and I was walking on the beach one day, right? And somebody had written something about Celtic being amazing on the beach. My instinct was to write bad words underneath it, okay? Now, I couldn't give a rip about Celtic, but 30 years ago, I could, not in a good way. Okay, but I found something, a pattern, a habit that for 30 years has been dormant in me that made me want to wreck and say bad things about Celtic. If you're a Celtic fan, you're very welcome here, okay? I couldn't care about Rangers or Celtic, but something rose up inside me. It's amazing we have these default things. There's patterns, there's habits that just control us. And God is saying there are some things that you have been doing instinctively. There's some things that have been part of your daily life. There's some things that you do every day, every evening. There's things you look at. There's things that you think about. And I need you to break that pattern and I need you to break that habit because you can't take that with you. I want you to move forward, but this is tethering you to the past. A number of years ago, we were at the airport. We were coming home from somewhere and they opened my man bag, we'll call it, my, my, my hand luggage. It's a very masculine bag, that's it there, it's navy. And, uh, and they were going, you know, the x-ray machine, he, we came out the other side and he said, can I open your bag? And I was like, yeah, there's nothing in there. And he pulls out this big, like, knife, okay? Like a big pen knife, as big legally as you can get in this country. It was bought from Amazon, it wasn't bought legally, so don't, don't, don't call the police. Um, but he pulls out this big knife, I'd bought it because Elijah and I were like, twigs and sharpening things and you know, um, 
But I didn't realize it was in my bag and we'd got through Belfast to our destination, but it, <laughs> which shows how great Belfast security is, you know. Like the things they put, like you can't carry more than 100 mils of water, but you can carry a big knife through, you know, because that water is more dangerous than the knife. Um, but the other side, they held this thing up and I was like, oh, flip right. And uh, basically I had a choice. I could hand over the knife and fly home, or I could try to hold on to the knife and I wasn't going anywhere. And sometimes life's a bit like that, you know. I like that knife. It was costly. But if I had tried to hold on to that, I was going nowhere. And sometimes there's things that we're holding on to in our lives. And we are frustrated with God because we feel stuck. And we think, God, why aren't you moving me into what you've promised, what has been prophesied, what you've spoken? Why am I stuck in this job? Why am I stuck in this place? Why am I stuck in this horrible thing? I don't like it. And God's saying, I am ready, but you're not. I have been ready for ages. You're waiting on me. I'm waiting on you. And until you deal with that issue, until you deal with that mindset, until you deal with that thing you're holding on to, I can't move you forward. There are some things that you need to break the pattern. There are some things that you can't take into your future. Maybe that's for some of you today. You've been feeling stuck for ages but you've never really asked yourself, is there something that I'm doing that's keeping me stuck? The next thing I believe God would say, and there's only two more, is you're not out of options. You're not out of options. Look at verse 11. So we asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So God sends Samuel to Bethlehem and tells him, I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. There's only one thing he doesn't tell him, which son it is. Life would have been so much easier if God had said to Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse and I want you to find, the, I want you to find David. But God gives him just enough information to get him there. And then when he gets him there, God gives them the next bit of information. And if you find that God does that, that God doesn't give you the whole picture, he just gives you the next step. And as we look ahead into 2024, I would love to know every single thing that's going to, well, maybe or maybe not, but I would love a really clear picture of the year ahead. But you know what God does? He says, be faithful today. Obey me today. Do what I've asked you to do today. Take the step that I've asked you to take in obedience today. And when you take that step, I'll give you the next step. And when you take that step, I'll give you the next step. God says to Abraham, I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your country. And I want you to go. And, go, and Abraham says, go where? And he says, if you go, I will show. And I would say, God, I would rather you would show and then I'll maybe go. But God says, no, you take a step of faith, you take a step of obedience, and I will direct you. Proverbs 2024. 20, it was just a coincidence that it's 2024. 20, but it says this, a person's steps are directed by the Lord. 
God wants to direct your steps this year. God wants to help you make decisions this year. God wants to give you the next stage, the next thing, but he won't give you what is going to happen in November. He will give you what you're to do today. And as you're obedient today, he will give you the next day. And he'll give you the next day. And he'll give you the next day. You know, the Christian life, Eugene Peterson said this, is a long obedience in the same direction. And having been a Christian now for 33 years, can I tell you, it is a long obedience in the same direction. God gives you enough for you to see the next stage and the next step, but he doesn't give you the whole picture. Samuel's really confused because God told him the next king would be one of Jesse's sons. And the first son comes in, Eliab, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And every one of them, God says no. And after the seventh son, he's just baffled. Because seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of perfection. He has asked to see all his sons. All seven have come in, and God has said no to all of them. And he's really confused. And he says to Jesse, is this them all? Is this all you've got? And, and, and Jesse goes, well, there's actually, I mean, there's the wee fella, you know, the wee runt. Um, he's, we run to the litter, he's, he's out in the field looking after the sheep, but I mean, he's not, you know, you're not going to be interested in him. He, he's not important. And I love what, what Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. In other words, he says, I am refusing to settle until I see God's choice. I am refusing to settle until I see God's choice choice. He thought he had seen all the options when he had seen the first seven sons, and he thought he was out of options, but he didn't realize there was still an option he hadn't seen. And God would say that to some of you. Some of you are starting this new year, and you feel like you're out of options. You've tried everything, and it hasn't worked. Maybe in relationships, maybe in jobs, whatever it is. You have tried everything and it hasn't worked. And so there's a tendency to settle for the next best option where God would say to you, you're not out of options. You just haven't seen all the options yet. So don't settle for less than my best. And I think that's particularly in relationships and I think it's in jobs. And there are times with jobs where we've just got to do what we've got to do to pay the bills, absolutely. But if you're going to spend 40 years of your life doing something, you don't want to do something that you absolutely hate. And if you're going to be married to somebody for 40 years, it's probably better that you don't hate them as well. There was a, a, a preacher in the last century here in Northern Ireland. Um, his name was, let me see, W.P. Nicholson. Some of you might have heard of him. And in the latter part of his life, somebody said to him, why did you never get married? And he, this was his answer. I really wanted to get married, but here's what I discovered. The desirable wasn't attainable, and the attainable wasn't desirable. So I stayed single. I thought, that's great. Those I wanted didn't want me, and those who wanted me, I didn't want. So here I am. In other words, he's saying, I'm not willing to settle for less than God's best. And maybe that's for some of you right now at the beginning of this new year. That in some areas of your life, you know you're settling. Maybe you've just got into routine and habit and you know deep down there's more that God has called you to. And God would say to you, you might think you've seen all the options, 
but I've got other options. And lastly, the last thing I believe God wants to say is this. God knows where you are. God knows where you are. So we asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tenting the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. David has been hidden out in the field in obscurity. Surrounded only by smelly sheep and wild animals. That's where his father placed him, out of the way. The other seven sons, they were at home, but David, let's push him out of the way. Some people think David was conceived through an affair. That's why his brothers never really treat him as one of the family. That's why his dad sees him as an afterthought. That's why in one of the Psalms he says, Surely in sin my mother conceived me. David was the outsider. He was the afterthought. He was the one who was put out of sight, out of mind. Let's just keep him away in the fields. We don't want to have anything to do with him. He was overlooked and he was undervalued. He's not even, Samuel says, bring me all your sons. And they don't even think to invite young David. And like I say, in the Bible, the number seven means completion or perfection. Eight is one too many. Eight is the spare one that you didn't really want or need. That's David. David's number eight. But in Hebrew, numbers, number eight also means this, new beginnings. The one that they rejected was going to be a new beginning for Israel. See, in God's eyes, this eighth son wasn't a misfit. There was a king inside this kid. And he might have been one too many for his earthly father, but he was the one that God had chosen. And he's out in the field one day, and maybe one of his brothers come out and they shout, David, David, dad wants you up at the house. And he has no idea as he walks towards that father's house that his life is about to change. The biblical account tells us this. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David was put away, out of sight, out of mind. Undervalued, underappreciated, unseen. Spent his days protecting his dad's sheep and singing worship songs to God. And his dad and his brothers might not have cared about where he was, but God knew exactly where he was. And maybe you feel undervalued. And maybe you feel like everybody else is advancing and you're, you're stuck somewhere. Or maybe you feel like everybody else gets opportunities and you don't get them. Or everybody else gets promotions and you don't get them. Or everybody else is getting married and you're still single. Or everybody else is having children and you're finding it really hard to conceive. Or everybody else seems to have this perfect social media life. And you just feel like your life is boring and monotonous. And you feel overlooked and you feel undervalued and you feel like nobody cares. I want to say to you, God knows where you are. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this. The eyes of the Lord search throughout the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What's saying is this? God knows where you are. 
Maybe you're waiting for promises from God to be fulfilled. Maybe things God has spoken to you and they haven't come to pass and you're thinking that God has forgotten about you. Can I say to you that God knows where you are? Maybe you look at other people's lives and you feel like you're so far behind them. God knows where you are. Maybe you're single parents and you're doing your best to raise your kids, but you feel so inadequate, like you're doing a horrible job. God knows where you are. Maybe you're so weary, you're so lonely, you're tired of struggling. God knows where you are. Maybe you think it's too old. You're too old and it's too late. Maybe you're broken by sickness or anxiety or depression or loss or weariness. God knows where you are. And God would say to you, if you are faithful in the field, I will bring you to the palace. If you're faithful where you are, if you're obedient where you are, if you do what I've called you to do where you are, even though it seems insignificant and unimportant and nobody sees it, I know where you are. And when the time is right, I will move you into the place that I have called you to you. Other people might forget about you. You may feel like an outsider, but God knows where you are. And that's the glory of the gospel as we come to communion this morning. That when we were lost, God knew where we were. And Jesus came and found us. You know, I, I remember there was a worship song years ago called I Found Jesus. I used to struggle to sing that because I didn't find Jesus. I wasn't even looking for Jesus. He wasn't the one who was lost. I was. I once was lost, but now I am found. And the story of the gospel is this, that we turned our backs on God, we hid from him, we went the other way, we rejected him, we made a mess of our lives, but Jesus found us. God loved us. God called us. When we were far away in Christ, we are called and we are chosen by God. And at the beginning of this new year, I just want to say to you that God knows where you are. God sees you, God loves you, God knows you, and God is with you. And maybe at the beginning of this new year, you need to let go of some things. Maybe you need to move on from some things. Maybe you need to break some patterns. Or maybe you just need to move on and step into the new.